And at the end, he acknowledged the role that he played in it. And we got to, uh, I got more hugs in this past two and a half, three months than I had ever gotten in my entire life together. We got to laugh. I got new stories from him. It was such a gift. And to have them take out his body and it hit me that this is a blessing that is so rare in this life, especially as my first real loss of a loved one. It made it so, he made it, God and my dad together and my family, like everyone just made it so much more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. Hey, what's up y'all? Welcome to the Perfectly Broken Podcast. Just like the Japanese art of Kintsugi, we're not trying to hide the cracks of our broken past, but rather highlight those struggles with gold. I will be vulnerable, real, and raw with y'all as we figure out how we can turn the damaged pottery of our lives into stunning works of art that are even more beautiful than we ever thought possible. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Perfectly Broken Podcast. So on today's episode, we are going to talk about the lessons that I have learned through the death of my dad. He died almost exactly a year ago today, so I am still pretty new to this journey, to be quite honest. And I have been very blessed that I made it 33 years without really experiencing true death in my life. All of my grandparents died either before I was born or when I was too young to really register. And then I had a friend who committed suicide a couple of years ago and that was extremely difficult for me, but um, she wasn't someone that I saw on a daily basis or anything by like that. So that was my first real experience with death but nothing compared to what I went through with my dad. And I want to preface this by saying that my dad lived to be 91 years old. He lived a hell of a life. He had my baby brother when he was 70 years old. Um, they always joked that he that was my dad's retirement present and kept him young. And he was kicking till the very end. He was sharp as a tack. He had great eyesight, ear sight earsight, hearing, I guess. <laughs> um, he had all of his teeth, like he was up, he was thriving until the very end. So he never really lost that quality of life, which is a huge blessing. And then the way that he went out was the greatest final gift I could ever imagine. Like I said, this was my first real experience with losing someone that I loved. And so uh, just everything that happened was so perfect and such a blessing in hindsight. At the time, it felt like a tragedy that uh, it was just a nightmare that I couldn't get out of. So let me 
take you to a little bit of my dad's story. In November of 2021, my dad came to Austin where I was living and where my little brother was at school and was able to attend my baby brother's ring day. And that involved walking a lot, standing all day. Um, everyone was still kind of worried about COVID with the huge crowds and everything. And my dad did really well there, but at the very end, he started to get weak. And there was one point where we were walking down some stairs and next thing I know, he had fallen and he didn't really get hurt. He scraped up his elbow pretty bad, but it was the first time that I really recognized his age. And I have grown up terrified of losing him because I mean, he had me when he was 60 years old. So my parents always kind of prepared us kids for the fact that I have an older father and he could go at any time. And to be fair, anyone can go at any, t at any time. You don't know what freak accident, you don't know when it's your time, anything like that. But um, luckily I was given the gift of preparation, I guess. And so he went back home after visiting us in Austin and was doing fine. And then he ended up um, potentially getting COVID and he got sick as a dog for a couple of days and then recovered from it. And my little brother went back to school. He was a senior at UT. I was still in Austin working, living all the stuff in Austin. And um, on Martin Luther King Day of 2022, I was, I had just gotten dumped for the first time in my life the night before. And I was in the workout room working out. And whenever I am working out, I turn my phone on silent. Um, that is my time for my mental health and it is a priority and I don't want any distractions. But that one day, I, for some reason, intuition, I guess, I didn't turn my phone on silent and I did it consciously. Don't know why, but I just didn't turn my phone on silent. And near the end of my workout, I got a call. And mind you, again, workout is my sacred time, so I do not answer any calls, texts, anything during my workout. But it was my mom, and I just knew. I just knew. And so I quit my workout and answered the call, and she said, Honey, I think your dad isn't going to pull through. I don't think he's going to make it much longer. Um, hurry home, get your baby brother and y'all hurry home. So that was Martin Luther King Day. Um, I believe it was January 17th. And I packed up a few things. My little brother got dropped off and we drove back to the woodlands from Austin, which is about a two and a half, three hour drive. And um, what had happened with my mom and dad was my dad was 
upstairs because we have an upside down house and so the living rooms upstairs downstairs are the bedrooms and my mom is pretty much living full-time out at her horse sanctuary she just would come home a couple of days a week to spend some time with my dad um, but for the most part he was on his own here and he was thriving he was the mayor of Starbucks he had all the friends and he he had a far more social life than I ever could dream of that I would ever want, honestly. But um, apparently he called her and he said, I can't get up. I'm too weak to get up. I can't get downstairs. I need your help. Hurry home. So she dropped everything, um, drove home, took about 15 minutes. And by the time she got here, he had managed to make his way downstairs but she um, was a nurse or worked in that field and she knew what was happening. She knew that he did not have much longer. So she called us kids and um, I was able to drop everything and come home. So he did not believe that he was dying. Um, he would make jokes about it. And it was a roller coaster of emotions because one day he would be thriving and seem to have more energy and more appetite. And um, if you asked him like how he was feeling, he'd be like, oh, you guys are making a big deal out of nothing. I'm fine. Like, I'm not dying. I'm not dying. This is ridiculous. And um, he just never accepted the fact that maybe this could be the end and that was hard because <sighs> it gave me kind of false hope I guess but it was good too because he was fighting more and so we got more time with him and it was kind of a unique experience because I got to start going through the grieving process while he was still alive and while I still had his support and his love and encouragement to help work me through the stages of grief. And so I want to go through the five stages of grief and I am going to um, use some notes for this, so bear with me as I read some things. But the first stage is denial. And this can look anything like avoidance, procrastination, um, easily getting distracted, keeping busy all the time. It can feel like shock, numbness, confusion, shutting down. And this is, I think, where we were all at, except my mom, because she has a she's experienced enough of life to know what to expect and be prepared for it and everything so my dad and i and i think my brothers as well i don't know about my brothers i can't really speak to them but um we didn't believe that it was real and i was just keeping busy, I kind of got lost in the role of being a caretaker. I took a leave of absence from work. Um, I was in a position, if you listen to my first episode, where I really could just drop everything and move back home. 
and my brothers, my older brother was up at med school and then my baby brother was finishing up um, his engineering degree at UT and so I really was the only one that was able to. Uh, oh, and my mom had just broken and sprained both of her arms um, in December and so she wasn't capable of taking care of him. Um, plus she was crazy busy running her horse sanctuary and um, it just worked out that I was the person to be the caretaker. And um, oh, that was so difficult because every day when I would go check on him, I would just oh, take a deep breath and pray, pray that I wouldn't be walking into a dead body to be quite honest. Um, I was terrified. I've never experienced death, like I said, never seen a real dead body, and I did not know how I would handle it. And so the first stage was denial. And then the next stage is anger. And this can be pessimism, sarcasm, irritability, being aggressive or passive aggressive. Um, it can feel like frustration, impatience, resentment, rage, feeling out of control. And I wouldn't say I went through that as much as I imagine other people would because I did have the support of my family and I wasn't alone in this. And the fact that my dad was always older and that we had kind of been prepared for this was a double-edged sword because when I was younger, my dad was extremely emotionally abusive and controlling and we, ooh, we butted heads like no one's business. We could not be in the same room together because I was very opinionated, he was very opinionated, um, and I was a girl, so I was not allowed to think for myself or anything like that, and we just really clashed. And so every time we got into a fight, I would not only have the anger and resentment, but I would feel such deep guilt and just absolute terrified that I could lose him in the middle of a fight or we would go to bed angry and what if he didn't wake up the next morning? So I was constantly in this inner turmoil between using my voice, standing up for what was right because, I mean, to be quite honest, growing up he was kind of racist and very sexist and had all of these old world, old white men um, conditionings that I did not agree with and that I made known. <laughs> oh boy, I made known that I did not think that those certain things were acceptable and we did not see eye to eye on that. And so it was really a struggle between standing up for what I believed was right and then also being respectful of my parents and also dealing with this extreme fear that he could die at any point. So 
during that his actual death, which by the way, I didn't mention, he ended up passing away on March 20th. So I had about two and a half months with him. Um, and like I said, I was his main caretaker and everything. Oh my gosh. So the anger though, there was one instance in particular. So um, near the end of his life, there were three days that he just, he reverted back to his old self, the, the person that triggered me so much when I was younger, because, and I'm getting all over the place here, but about 10 years ago, he had kind of a near-death experience and he completely changed his life around. He became a loving, compassionate, supportive father. And that was the greatest blessing of my life because when I was younger, I truly thought I hated him. And, you know, they say that the opposite of love isn't hate. It's, what is it, apathy? Um, where you just don't care anymore. So I think the love was still very deep there, but there was just so much pain and so much resentment. So I used to, I used to pray that he would die when I was younger. God, I, I hate saying that out loud. And I thank God, thank God that the divine knows so much better, <laughs> so much better because I thought my life would be easier without him, but I would have lived with so much regret and so much just resentment and pain about not getting any closure or forgiveness or anything like that. So anyways, there were three days where we think that he might have had just very slight onset dementia and that they were signs of that, even though beforehand his memory was still wicked smart and he was able to remember his old phone numbers from when he was a kid and everything and teachers names and he was incredible. But there were those three days where he just was angry and he was fighting me with everything and um I there was one instance in particular I was doing my workouts at home so that I could always be around if he needed me and I was doing a workout and about five minutes before I finished which I needed to do for my mental health and about five minutes before I was done he called me and said um I need some chipped ice Apparently when you're dying, you just love crushed ice. And so he was constantly asking for ice. And so I said, um, all right, I have five more minutes in my workout and then I'll be right down. And he was like, oh, I'm dying. I don't have five minutes. I need it now. Whew. And I know that he was just trying to make light of a scary situation. I can't imagine what it felt like for him, but that set me over the edge. I stopped my workout, I grabbed that ice, I ran down there and I was like, you do not, you do not make a joke out of this. This is the hardest thing I've ever been through. I and I got so mad at him over a simple, silly little joke. And 
I really did. You know, it says they can feel like feeling out of control. And I felt like I just had no control over any of this. And it was such a roller coaster because, like I said, he'd be doing great one day and then the next day he would um, be wanting to go to Starbucks with all of his friends and he would be waiting outside for his ride to come pick him up. And I walked out there one day and he looked like just a little kid, you know, that has a deadbeat dad who always says they're going to come visit and he's waiting out on the porch for his dad to pick him up and just realizing that it's not going to happen and feeling so defeated. And he would get all ready to go out and see his friends and then not be able to get up again and need to get help to get back inside and lay back down in bed. So, oh, that was, that was the hardest part. My heart goes out so much to both sides of the situation. One, I can't imagine just losing someone unexpectedly in a car crash to a heart attack to something like that. The fact that I was able to mentally prepare myself and say goodbye and get closure and everything. Oh. I mean, that's something that I will never, ever take for granted. But on the flip side, I can't imagine having someone that is going through cancer and they have months and months to try to fight and go through that roller coaster of one day like, oh, they're going to get better. I need to keep the hope that they're going to pull through this versus oh my gosh, now they're taking a turn for the worst. I need to start to mentally prepare myself to lose them. And um, I heard that they call that like the slow death or long drawn out or something like that. But either way, I just, I'm so grateful. Like I said, so grateful for the way that this played out. So the next stage of grief is bargaining. And that says like ruminating on the future or past, overthinking and worrying, comparing self to others, um, judgment towards self and or others. And it can feel like guilt, shame, blame, fear, anxiety, insecurity. And this I think is so common. Um, I definitely went through this like uh, if Lord, if you just let him pull through this, I will give up all sugar, (laughs) you know, like whatever, um, whatever I could think of. And it was hard to recognize that I have no control over this. We could only do so much, but at the end of the day, this was God's timing. And I had to trust that it was divinely planned and um, so much easier said than done, especially because I was just starting out on my spiritual journey at that point. I just had like my spiritual awakening um, when I came home in January. And so I was a brand new, as my mom said, I was a spiritual baby. 
<laughs> so I was still trying to figure out what I believed and um, recognize that everything is perfect. Divine perfection, timing, plan, all of the above. So that was hard for me, but um, I also wanted him to, I wanted him to die with dignity and I didn't want him to lose his quality of life. He had always prided himself on, you know, being the older dad who had a kid at 70 and was still thriving and all that stuff. And so I didn't want him to feel any embarrassment or, um, I don't know, shame for appearing weak to us, which didn't even cross my mind. So the next stage of grief is depression, and that can be sleep and appetite changes, reduced energy, um, reduced social interest, crying, increased alcohol and drug use. It can feel like sadness, despair, helplessness, disappointment, etc. And that one I definitely went through, um, but that was kind of in waves. And again, I am so grateful for the support of my family and community and everything because I was always aware that I wasn't alone. And that's one thing that I feel like so many people probably go through is just feeling so alone. And the more that I have shared my journey of grieving, the more um, other people have opened up to me and so many people are just like suffering in silence and trying to hold it all together while they put together the funeral plans and processing the death and, you know, um, just everything that goes along with that. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely felt major sadness but I knew that it was necessary as part of the healing journey. And so I tried, I tried to not stifle that. I tried to allow the tears to flow. And oh, I remember just coming down to him and every day I would make his meals and I would try to spend some time with him. And... Um, I asked him, like, are you lonely down here? Are you scared? Anything like that? And he was constantly reassuring me. You know, he was the one going through it, but he was still being my loving, protecting, caring dad. And so I never had to go through any of that alone. And they say that... You have to feel it to heal it. And crying these tears are nothing but healing. And so I encourage you to let them flow and don't try to stifle them or hide them away or anything. And then the final stage of grieving is acceptance. And that can include mindful behaviors, engaging with, with reality as it is, um, being present in the moment, able to be vulnerable and tolerate emotions, 
adapting, coping, responding skillfully, it can feel like, all right, this is what it is and this is good enough, or feeling courageous or self-compassion, wisdom, and this is where I am now, and I was able to get there pretty quickly. Um, one thing that really, really helped me was I happened to stumble across this Netflix documentary series called Surviving Death, and I like I said, was a baby spiritual, so I had no idea what to believe in as far as an afterlife or faith or anything like that. And so that show helped me um, accept that he was going to a greater place. And it was so interesting to me because I have kept a gratitude journal for about a year and a half now or so, and I would feel like I was going through the motions. I knew that I should be grateful for certain things, so I'd write them down, but I didn't really feel it. I felt kind of numb, to be honest. I was feeling the highs and lows of life, but as far as gratitude, I didn't truly feel it to my core. And so with my dad's process, first of all, hospice care, oh my gosh, if that is a resource that you are capable of getting, if it's available to you, I highly, highly, highly recommend it because they are just saints. They walk you through everything to expect. They are so supportive. They um, just guide you and prepare you. They really prepared us for what to expect with literally step by step every little thing. And so nothing really came as a real cons like shock, I guess. And so about a week before my dad died, he ended up losing his ability to talk. Um, I think that he... Um, had a mini stroke or maybe a full stroke I don't know but he had a stroke and one thing is that my parents agreed that they did not want to die in a hospital if either of them came end of life and were not suffering and not in pain or anything then they wanted to die in their bed with family around them and not become a victim of the medical industry or whatever and so my dad had a stroke and he could still understand us but he couldn't actually communicate and one thing that hospice told us would happen was he would start to see um spirits from the other world and so i remember he was laying in bed and he couldn't communicate but it was just us in there and he would he was just looking around in awe and wondering. He was like pointing in a corner and over there and stuff. And he had a son that died before I was born. And then both of his parents, obviously, he was really close with his grandfather, um, his first wife. Like he had so many people that were waiting for him on the other side. And just to witness 
his excitement and joy. God, it was such a gift and it was so reassuring. And it's like he was able to tell us that everything was beautiful on the other side and that he was ready. And so at the end, he ended up um, losing his facilities and he wet the bed and all of that stuff. Um, and of course, like, I felt nothing but love and compassion for him. I did not get upset about having to clean up the bed sheets or anything like that. He, he couldn't do anything about it. And that would have been my own ego, my own insecurities coming out, which is totally understandable. If you are a caretaker and you have to deal with cleaning up after someone all the time, it is emotionally so draining. And so please just have some self-compassion and show yourself grace. Just recognize that we are all just doing the best that we can. And reminder, I had <laughs> I had some my moments where I would just get so upset and um that one time that I went down and yelled at him, God. Yeah, but that's part of life. Um so yeah, the acceptance came pretty quickly and I got sidetracked again, but the day of his death, I could hear him take his final breath and I wasn't down there. I did not want to see the body. That's one thing I had asked hospice is if they recommended I look at his dead body for closure or if it would help with the grieving or acceptance or anything. And she said, it's completely up to you, but I personally don't think it's necessary. I would prefer to remember them in their love, their light, and all the positives. So I could hear him take his last breath, and I remember just being upstairs, just, uh, I knew, I knew that it was the time, and I was just crying and then I was kind of in shock. And when they came to get his body, I was hiding because I didn't want to be involved with any of that. Thank God for my mom and thank God for the support and not having to go through this alone. But when they took his body away, I remember just being overwhelmed with more gratitude than I ever, ever thought possible. It's like the floodgates. I'd been so numb to gratitude for the past couple of months, if not years. And when he died, I realized that I just was given the greatest final gift from my father. And he apologized for things that I never thought I would get an apology for. Um, I honestly blamed him for my eating disorder for so long, and he would get very defensive if any of us even insinuated that he had some fault in it at all. 
And I mean, to be fair, that was, it was my issue and it was my choice and all that stuff. You can't live your life blaming others for anything because at the end of the day, we're all at cause for our own lives. But I did feel resentful towards that. And at the end, he acknowledged the role that he played in it and we got to, uh, I got more hugs in this past two and a half, three months than I had ever gotten in my entire life together. We got to laugh. I got new stories from him. It was such a gift. And to have them take out his body and it hit me that this is a blessing that is so rare in this life, especially as my first real loss of a loved one, it made it so, he made it, God and my dad together and my family, like everyone just made it so much more beautiful than I ever could have imagined. Again, it was the hardest thing I've ever been through, one of the hardest things I've ever been through, but it was such a gift. It was the perfect amount of time between not having enough time to say goodbye and everything and then having it drag on too much where it's just emotionally exhausting and draining. So the day of his death, I remember just feeling gratitude like I have never experienced before and it has not stopped that was like the catalyst for me learning what it was to truly feel again and to let every emotion come through and so um I want to add that these are the five stages of grief but I think that there's one more that people don't talk about or acknowledge, and that is the guilt. And the guilt includes things like, oh, if only I had said I love you as my last words, or if only I had hugged him before he left that last time, or Oh, why did I always get so annoyed when he made that one little joke? Why was it so triggering to me? And it's funny because now you really do. I always heard that you miss the mundane things, but it didn't hit me until now that yes, it was his annoying little way that he would have to talk through the movies and have to pull me aside anytime I tried to walk by to tell me about what article he was reading or scream at me about how incredible Trump was and like typical old white man, you know, and um, he just, he was so full of life and so full of opinions and everything and I really do miss all those little annoyances and uh, I'm grateful for the fact that I got 33 years with him, which, you know, my baby brother didn't even get to have him see him graduate college, which I imagine would be so painful. Um, but a few other lessons that I learned throughout this process were one that grief comes in waves. 
So at the beginning, it was deep and intense. And I really allowed myself to feel those feelings. And that's one thing about the stages of grief is that if you don't process and if you don't allow yourself to go through and really feel each one of those stages, you can get stuck in one. You can get stuck in denial. And if you don't work your way through it, then a year down the road, two years down the road, 10 years down the road, you're going to be living your life and just it will hit you when you are not prepared for it. So you really can't outrun any of the stages of grief. So I would encourage you to embrace it and feel all your feelings and if you need support, my DMs are always open at Healthy Foodie TX. I have been through my own experience of it. I recognize that it was probably easier than most other people's, but at the end of the day, grief is grief. And I felt it so strongly and I still feel it. I will be going around living my life happy as can be, and then randomly some little thing will trigger a memory and I'll break down. Like shortly after he died, I remember I was um, making a protein shake and I went to get ice and I used cubed ice for my protein shakes and it was on the crushed ice setting. And like I said, his deathbed desire was crushed ice. And so when I accidentally got some of the crushed ice, like that just, I broke down. And then one little annoying thing was that I would bring him down food every day. And one day he was like, I don't like this fork. I want a long, thin fork. And I was just like, what the fuck? Seriously? And um, I was annoyed with it and thought it was stupid. And then I caught myself wanting a long, thin fork for whatever meal I was eating and I flashed back to that stupid little moment that he and I had and that led to another wave of grief and just oh man just so much pain and anguish and just love and that's the thing about grief is they say it's a badge of love if you if you want to avoid grief, then that's fine. Just never allow love into your life. Just never experience what we are down on this earth to experience. And that is relationships and love and growth. And ew, it is a painful, it, it's probably the worst part of life. But it is beautiful too because it helps you really appreciate the people that you have in your life. And so that's one of the lessons that I've learned from my dad's death is now I tell all my friends and family, I love you. You know, it might feel uncomfortable to talk to a friend and say, hey, I love you. Because that's just not said very commonly. It's kind of reserved for relationships and family and all that stuff. But no, I love, I adore and am grateful for my friends. 
And so I want to tell them now that I love them. And I have um, been very reserved as far as physical touch ever since, because, you know, and we'll talk more about this, but I've been raped three times and sexually assaulted and it ended up really causing me to become a shell when it comes to physical touch in some regards. Um, not as much with like actual boyfriends, but just in general. But now I'm learning to hug more and appreciate physical touch and the connection and um, just this human experience that we're all down here having and that includes allowing people to get close to us both physically and emotionally. Another point that I want to make is that if you have someone in your life who loses a loved one, man, do not feel afraid to say something. I had people that would say like, I know this doesn't help, but just wanted to let you know that I'm thinking about you, blah, blah, blah. And the thing is that you don't have to say exactly the right thing. You don't have to do anything perfectly. Just the fact that you are reaching out, you are taking time out of your busy life to acknowledge the pain that I'm going through and support me, that really meant so, so much to me. And one thing that I do now is that if I see anyone on social media post about the loss of a loved one, like an a rest in peace post or obituary. I don't care if I have never talked to this person in my life. I don't care if they were an old friend of me that made me feel like shit when I was younger. Like, you know, whatever it is, I will always engage on that post. I will like it or send a heart emoji or whatever. I will just tell them thinking of you, sending you love, something like that. I will just acknowledge it because it was the acquaintances, it was the people that I didn't even know paid attention to my social media that really just made me feel so supported and so loved. And so never, never miss an opportunity to encourage someone else who is going through a loss. And um, it you don't have to be perfect, it's just, holding space for them and letting them know that they aren't alone. That really, really, truly does help. So another lesson I learned was to forgive quickly and wholeheartedly. And I've been kind of good at this in my older years. Um, I'm pretty good about forgiving and not holding on to resentments. But the loss of my dad just really showed me how finite life is. And so if I have any issues with someone, I say sorry very quickly and I forgive wholeheartedly. And don't get me wrong, like you still need to set boundaries and learn and accept people for what they show you they're going to be. Um, but... I'm not going to allow that to fester and for me to hold on to it because uh, I 
don't want to lose someone with unresolved feelings like that. And that I know is something that we can't always avoid and it's part of life. And I'm sure that as I get older and start to lose more people in my life that there's going to be an instance where something was left unsaid that I regret or um, feelings were bad or whatever like that. Um, I had an ex-boyfriend that whenever we would get into a fight, he would want to go for a drive to clear his head. And I hated that because even though I think that that is a very healthy way to handle a confrontation in a relationship is to step away for a little while, clear your head, and then come back together when you are feeling more calm and ready to talk rationally and lovingly. But I was terrified of him getting into a car accident when we didn't have a, res a resolution to our argument. That really like cut me deep and I was so terrified about it. So, you know, that's just unavoidable in so many situations, but, and that's the thing about the afterlife is that they are in pure soul form at that point. So. Even if you feel guilty for something, I guarantee that the second they've died, they don't hold on to any resentments. They love you. They just want you to know that they recognize that you were doing the best that you possibly could. And if you have a situation like this, I highly encourage you to go watch um, the it's a little like parable. Um, you can find it on YouTube and I believe it's called The Little Soul and the Sun by Neil Donald Walsh. And that is just a little like kid's story, really short, that helps you understand what soul contracts are. And that'll be an episode all in itself. But basically where you have your soul family and I wanted to experience forgiveness. I wanted to learn what it was to be a forgiving person. So my dad and I, before we came down, we had this soul contract that he was going to be absolutely terrible to me as a kid so that I would have the opportunity to learn what it felt like to truly forgive someone. And so my dad was just playing his role and in soul form, we can, you know, when we're all dead and up in heaven together or wherever you see the afterlife, if you believe in that, um, you know, I will be able to go to him and say, wow, you played your role so well. You are such an asshole. And I am so grateful for you that you're able to do that. And just like if he died and things were unresolved, then I'm able to recognize that I was just playing a part, I was just playing a role in his soul contract as well. And once we're all long gone, then it's nothing but perfection and love and connection and love and light and all that stuff. So please try to forgive yourself because if someone has died, I guarantee that they've already forgiven you. And maybe you could even talk to them because they're still with you and ask them to come 
talk to you in a dream and find some resolution. And whether you remember it or not, you might wake up one morning just feeling lighter and like something is different. Um, and so, yeah, that I'm sure that sounds very woo-woo, but um, it works for me. And my dad and I still, like, this is going to sound really, really crazy, but um, my dad... I still feel his presence all the time. Um, there was an instance that I haven't really talked about, but the day after he died, I was working out upstairs and I just, and I was doing that to try to cope and just for my mental health and feel like things were a little bit okay. And about halfway through my workout, I just stopped and I just broke down. And I heard this noise that I can only say sounded like what I would expect, like an alien, like UFO coming down, like zoom, like thing. And I felt this, I was just overcome with a sense of peace and unconditional love. And so ever since then, and I prayed for it, like you have to ask God, you have to ask souls and everything for signs and communication and be open and receptive to it because they believe me, like the afterlife, they want to communicate with you if you're willing and able to. Um, so... What I've learned so far is that time does not heal all wounds, but it does smooth them over. So some scars never fade, but your grief of badge... So some scars never fade, but that's okay because you have that grief that is just a badge of the love you shared with someone. And that is a beautiful thing if you're able to look at it from a different perspective. So we got my dad cremated and had his ashes. And then when my older brother came to visit, um, we ended up spreading his ashes. We snuck onto the golf course uh, in the evening one night and went to the hole where my dad got his hole in one. Um, oh God, go golf was my dad's, one of his biggest passions. Um, and so clearly getting that hole in one was one of the highlights of his life. And we agreed while he was still alive that that's where he'd want to have his ashes spread. So we went out there and spread his ashes and, um, shared stories and memories about him and everything. And it was so beautiful and so healing, but it's so strange how your loved one can fit inside a bag at one point. And it's like, uh, it's just so surreal, I guess. But I think that I haven't moved on from my dad, but rather I'm moving on with him. And now every step of my journey as I am embarking on this new coaching and podcasting and just living a life of purpose and joy and following my passion and everything, I can feel 
my dad's hand on my shoulder just every step of the way. And I know that he was my biggest cheerleader in life. And now in the afterlife where he has no limitations, he is cheering me on even greater than he ever could have in this finite world. So yeah, this is getting to be really long, but the point is that, you know, eventually we're all going to lose someone that we love, um, you know, unless the good does die young because you don't have to go through all that pain. But if you live any sort of life of faith and connection and allowing others in, which can be terrifying, then you are bound to lose someone you love. And the thing about grief, though, is that it's not just associated with death. You can you can grieve the loss of a relationship. You can grieve the loss of a job. Um, and honestly, I think that the loss of a pet can be just as painful, if not more, than losing a human in so many cases, because that is unconditional love, someone that you have had by your side every single day through thick and thin for X amount of years. So, you know, the point is that grief comes from all different parts of life and all different aspects and know that you are worthy of the emotions that you are experiencing. Those feelings are valid no matter where they came from, no matter who that person was in your life or, um, you know, whatever it is that leads to the grief that you've experienced. Just know that at the end of the day, we're all in this together. So I just want to end this and let you guys know that you are absolutely worthy of the love and to feel your feelings and emotions and grieving. And I don't care if it was a teacher from first grade that you're grieving or a pet or a parent or a spouse or a child. God, I can't imagine that. But just know that you are not alone in this and your feelings are valid and you are worthy of feeling them and healing them. And my DMs are always open. So just know that we are all in this together. And if you got anything out of this message, please like, comment, follow, subscribe. I don't know all the podcasting terms well enough yet, but do all the things just to spread the word, get the support out there and shoot me a DM um, over at Healthy Foodie TX. Follow my podcasting page at The Perfectly Broken Podcast. And I can't wait to see y'all in the next episode. All right, bye.